this morning we're going to continue in our study, uh, kind of our ecclesiology study, our study of the church called This Is Us. Um, and if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can go ahead and turn it to Hebrews chapter 10, and that's where we're kind of going to be based out of this morning. We'll have several other texts. So Hebrews chapter 10 is where we'll be this morning. Um, so last week we talked about who is the church. Remember the question we kind of posed is in the beginning is what is the church? But then we kind of came to the conclusion as we moved through text that the question of what isn't so much the true question rather than who is the church. And so we came to this understanding and realization through the text that we, the people, are the church and that the church is the people of God stepping into the purpose of God. And so for us this morning, what we're going to kind of focus on, kind of moving from who the church is uh, and what the church is made of, uh, moving into what is the purpose of the church. And we kind of touched on this a little bit last week, but I hope this morning we can begin to elaborate that a little bit, maybe kind of tease that out a little more. Like, what is the purpose of the church? Why am I here as a Christian? What am I supposed to be doing and how could he ever possibly use me? How could he ever, leave, ever possibly use you? And honestly, I ask myself this question daily. God, how could you ever possibly, first off, have chosen me to be saved, chosen to save me, but then chosen to use me, as he has done any of us who have put our faith in Christ, that you have been chosen for a reason and a purpose that is specific to his church. And so this morning, that's what we're going to talk about and kind of see. Uh, so what is the purpose? You know, and our purpose is a very particular purpose, a very intentional purpose. And we spend, in reality, we spend our whole lives looking for meaning, looking for purpose, looking for intention, looking for what we're going to do, what we're supposed to do, and how we're supposed to do it. Um, J.D. Greer said this. He said, the greatness of the church is never found in gathering, counting, and turning in numbers. It's found in ordinary people that are raised up in the power of the Spirit. And so that, that is, you know, as we talked about last week, who the church is. It's these people that have been raised up, these ordinary people like me and you raised up and created and molded for a purpose that God intends for each and every single one of us. That that is the church. That is the purpose of the church. It's not in counting numbers. It's not in anything else that we can think of that we need to do. But it's in stepping into the purpose of God as an ordinary person being empowered by the very power and resurrection spirit of God to do the purpose that God has intended for each of us. And so before we even begin to talk about what the purpose of the church is, I want us to kind of be really be clear and honest about what the purpose of the church isn't. So the purpose of the church is not to be a collective social club. The purpose of the church is not to be a means of entertainment. The purpose of the church is not meant to be this weekend activity that we can come to and get an attaboy and say that we've done our good deed for the week where we've attended an assembly where they've talked about God. And so that makes me a better person or makes me feel better about myself, myself as I move forward in my week. And that most of all, that we would understand that the purpose of the church is not about me or my glory or my comfort. Okay, it is not about me or my glory or my comfort. And so what is the purpose of the church? So what is it all about? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, this is this kind of theological, kind of doctrinal statement that was put together by some people much smarter than me. They said this, they asked this question in here, what is the chief end of man? And they state that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
to magnify him above all and in doing so begin to walk in light of what he's called me to. So that is what he lays before us. He lays before us this purpose as a church to bring glory to God in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the way that we act in our, in our spaces. But not even just doing something out of obedience, not just this list of do's and don'ts that he lays before us, but, but to not only glorify him, just bring praise and honor and magnify him. And we know that all through the Bible that the way God is magnified and glorified is through weak people doing amazing things through the power of the Spirit of God in us. But not only to glorify him, to be giving ourselves over to him, but to be enjoying him. That our purpose as a believer is also to enjoy God. That He wants us to enjoy Him. He wants us to enjoy what He has given us, what He has blessed us with. The Bible tells us that every good thing comes from the Lord. And so anything good that we have in our life, we can equate it to goodness that God has given us. And anything we have in our life that we've maybe uh, perverted or we've maybe made evil is because of us. It's not because of God. Everything in the world that He's given us that we use for good is from Him. Our kids, our jobs, everything that he lays before us, uh, the, the very roof we have overhead, the food we put in our mouth, the breath that we breathe in our lungs is given to us from God. And so for us, we have to know that there is a purpose, that in that purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And his intentions are biblical flourishing. And so as we step into glorifying God, as we step into enjoying him forever, we begin to walk in biblical flourishing. And what biblical flourishing is, is it is individuals, it is us, walking alongside God to redeem humanity and redeem creation. Because when sin entered the world, humankind, mankind broke, was broken because of sin. And not only was mankind broken, but creation itself was broken. Creation itself was broken because sin broke the world. And so then not only do we have sickness and disease and sin where we hurt each other, but then we also have natural disasters that are a result of the fall. Everything in creation is, uh, that, that is faulty is a result of the fall. And so as we as Christians, as we step into this world with a purpose, God has blessed us with the opportunity to walk alongside Him in seeing creation and humanity redeemed. And we do that, we do that through something He has equipped us with. That God has equipped us for his purpose. And it's not in our power that we walk in this, but it's the very power of the gospel that we've been equipped with. And not the gospel, just simple words, but the gospel being a lifestyle. The gospel being a mindset. The gospel being a driving force, an approach that transforms people. God has given us the gospel. The gospel we know is spoken being the good news of Jesus, but not simply what we speak, but it's how we live. It's what just saturates our life and saturates the things that we say, saturates the things that we do, saturates the things that we think and how we think about certain things and approach certain things. Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the very power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so we have this tool to step into humanity and to begin to help creation move closer and closer and closer to the perfection that God has called us to. And it's through the power of the gospel that he's given us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The very gospel packed into this little text. He tells us that he's given us that because he's given us himself. He's given us the gospel. And that now as we live in our life, walking in the purpose that God has called us to, I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That I live in Christ. 
And I love this, this little uh, summary of the church's purpose, the Nine Marks ministry, a ministry that just is uh, uh, focused is to equip churches, equip pastors. They say it this way, the local church or the, the gathering of the people of God and their intentions and in walk in moving, it says the local church exists to glorify God through worshiping Him, edifying His people or encouraging His people and evangelizing the world around us. That that is the purpose. And so what do I do in that? How can I participate in that as an individual? That's kind of like the universal kind of broad kind of look at it. So for me as an individual, what can I do? C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. And so for us, our effectiveness in this world is determined by what we think of the next world, of what we think about Christ, of what we think about God, of what we think about heaven, of what we think about eternity. As what we think about that will affect the effectiveness that we have here on earth. Because if we think of heaven and of God and of Jesus Christ at the level at which He deserves, as we've talked about several times before, and who He is and what He's truly done, it, it, we can't help but it affect the way we live our life. It can't help but the way that we navigate our marriages, our parenting, our jobs, uh, whatever else we're doing, the, our worship even in this building. Praise God for cool, uh, in a cool environment this morning. Amen. I didn't even acknowledge that because I didn't want to mess it up and jinx it, but our air's on this morning, so praise God for that. Our participation, and, and like I said, you know, God's intention for us is to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. And so for us, when we are participating in His purpose, when we live in the most, in, in the participation that He's called us to, when we are participating in His purpose, church, we are walking into and living in a life more abundant. A life more abundant. We live the most abundant life when we are the most obedient to the purpose of God. Because that is what we were created for. That if we are living separate from Christ, distant from Christ, pushing Christ away, we are living opposite of what the very creation was meant to be. And so we never find fulfillment. We never find satisfaction. We never find that true life that we're supposed to live and find it to the fullest because we are not walking in obedience to Him, not walking in the life abundant because we're not participating in the purpose that He's given for us. So we live in the most abundant life when we are the most obedient to the purpose of God. That's what He's called us to. You know, and really focusing in on the intention. What He's got for me? What He's got for you? What is my purpose? You know, and... And, and I had this thought this week, and, and I know Ashley can relate, and Jonathan, he, he, you know, him coaching, and if several of you, if you've coached a baseball team or anything like that, the most annoying thing in coaching little kids' sports is the parents in the stands, right? Those, you have those little kids, right? And they're out in the field, and they're trying to do their thing, and they're focused. You've been coaching them all week, and you get out there, and the ball is hit to them, and what happens? You hear... 10,000 voices from the stands yelling at them to do different things, right? And you're trying to tell them, you're trying to yell at them, hey, no, do this, because you've been coaching them, you've been telling them, but they're hearing all these voices. And, and what happens when a kid starts to hear that, right? They just freeze. They just stop, because they're hearing all these different things, all these different directions, all these different uh, 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 attempts at doing something, and so they just freeze up, they just stop. And so for me in my life, I started to think about that. And, and for us as Christians, if we're not really zeroed in on one voice, 
on one purpose, on one direction, on one intention. We will hear so many different things around us about what we're supposed to be doing as a Christian, who we are as a person, what we're created for. We're hearing all these different voices around us. And just like those little kids in T-ball or a little baseball or softball, we freeze up. We're neutralized. We don't know what to do, because, and so we end up not doing anything. We not, end up not walking in any purposes because we're neutralized, because we're allowing ourselves to hear so many different voices around us rather than focusing in on God's purpose, God's intention for me and my life as a Christian and believer and, and just as a human being. What, and this isn't just meant per se for Christians. This is what humankind was created for. In the beginning, God created us to walk in perfection, to walk in His presence and enjoy the blessings that He's given for us. That's what he created us for. And then we chose sin over him. And we know that the sovereignty of God knew that. And he uh, gave us that choice so that he could show us true love by giving himself on dying on the cross for us. But sin entering the world has caused us to be neutralized and caused us to be broken. And so for us, we have to focus in, fix our sights and our ears on one singular voice. And this morning, I hope that as we read through the text, as the writer of Hebrews tells uh, the people here um, that there's one voice that you need to hear. There's one purpose that you have as believers. And I encourage you to walk in that. And so we're picking up in Hebrews chapter 10. I want to read this just to lay some groundwork for Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was meant to be an encouragement. Okay, it was meant to be an encouragement. It, uh, sometimes you can see it titled as kind of the book of edification. It is meant to be an encouragement to a specific group of people that are dealing with difficult times. Okay, these, a lot of them are Christians uh, who were Jewish, and so they're, they're meeting a lot of oppression. They're meeting a lot of uh, persecution from the religious people around them or the pagans around them that are coming and they're kind of putting pressure on them, uh, questioning their beliefs, questioning everything that they're doing. And so uh, the book of Hebrews is written into, written to these people to kind of elevate Christ above all. Uh, several times in the book of Hebrews, you saw where he talks about Christ being more than Moses, more than Abraham, more than Melchizedek. That's a whole nother thing. But, uh, you know, just elevating Christ above all, encouraging them to hold on and, and orienting their focus to the goodness of God through Christ. And so he's orienting their focus, bringing their thoughts, bringing their eyes, bringing their mind to one voice to step into their purpose, to begin to walk in this hostile environment in their purpose, in their intention, in their direction. And so picking up in Hebrews 10, 22 through 25, we'll see what the writer is writing to these people. Verse 22, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the first thing that we see there in verse 22, the purpose for us, how we are walking and stepping in that purpose is he tells us to draw near. Let us draw near. This is an active uh, participation, a choice to draw near. And who are we drawing near to? He's calling us to draw near to God because earlier in this verse, uh, in this chapter, he says that we have the right now because of the goodness of God, because of the sacrifice on the cross, that we have the boldness to walk, to draw near, to walk towards God, to draw near near to God. So what he's telling us there is, let's choose that. 
Let's let our purpose be to draw near to God, to be drawing near to Him, Him being the central point, Him being the voice that we're hearing, approaching, and observing. I didn't have who this quote was from, but I thought it was so effective. He says this, he says, Addiction and idolatry are essentially boredom fighting extinction. I want to read that again. Addiction and idolatry are essentially boredom fighting extinction. That he is telling us that the reason that we are fighting addictions and the reason we are fighting idolatry in our life, you know, many, many of you may not be fighting addiction to something in particular, but I would guess that a lot of us, most of us, if not all of us, struggle with idolatry at some point or another. And so he's telling us that the reason you're addicted, the reason you're idolizing something else in your life but besides Jesus Christ is because you're bored. And all of those things is boredom fighting extinction. And so what he is calling us to do is to choose. Let us draw near. Let us come near before God. Let us approach God. Let us put him before our minds. Let us think about him. Let us approach him in this way. This is a motion of participatory action. This is us making a decision in a particular direction. This is me as a Christian choosing to approach God, to draw near to God in my life, that that is my purpose in glorifying God is to draw near to God, to put God before my mind, to put him in my focus, in my vision. Romans 13, 13 through 14, it says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He says, walk in this way, be intentional about this way. This is your purpose to walk this way, to choose this, put on Christ, draw near to God. In Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and, you, you, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. He says, every, just every area of life, put these things before you. Draw near to God. That this is us glorifying Him, is drawing near to Him, approaching Him in this way. When you lie down, when you rise, when you walk, when you sit, every moment of life, drawing near to Him. And so how does this look? How does this look practically in my life? And, and it's simply put, this is us being intentional about our devotion in our life. I love, he says, whether you rise or whether you lie, I think, you know, uh, I always try to make it a habit. The first thing I do or the last thing I do at night is, uh, is, is, is to approach the Lord in some type of devotion. And just, you know, this morning I read to uh, the uh, worship team, uh, Psalm chapter 9 this morning. And, you know, every day I try to read a psalm or a proverb at the least. But, you know, for us, just reorienting ourselves to the Lord, drawing near to Him in some way, shape, or form. And God, praise God that He's put so many ways for us to engage Him practically. Whether it's, you know, we talk about all the time podcasts or books or just quick little things that just can encourage us or orient our minds to God. You know, there's several podcasts I listen to. They're, they're like four to six minutes long. I mean, that's, that's where I need it. That's where I, I get it right there. You know, every once in a while I can listen to a 45 minutes, an hour sermon. But those five to six minute just thing, but they just can energize you. It's amazing what just a little bit of time that we spend drawing near to God, glorifying Him in that, what it can do for us in our life. And so not only drawing near to Him in devotion, but in prayer, being intentional about prayer. You know, praying for our spouses, praying for ourselves, praying for our jobs, praying for our churches, praying for our kids. You know, praying 
intentionally praying. That is us drawing near to Him, glorifying Him, acknowledging Him and His goodness and His sovereignty over all things. And then and just in our worship, you know, when we're here and we're singing, that it would just not be empty words, that it would be us truly engaging. Uh, you know, we always try to be very intentional about the things we sing being straight from God's word. And so that when we're singing, we're singing the Bible, we're singing his word. We're singing these things that edify and grow us and, and show us how we should live. You know, I'm reading this book right now. Uh, by a man named Mike Faberez, and it's called Raising Men, Not Boys. And this was an easy resource because I have all boys, and so it was good for us to get it. It was like, yeah, we need that. And so as we're reading it, man, it, and I haven't finished it yet, and so I can't confidently uh, uh, say that you should read it yet. When I finish it, if it's good enough, then I'll let you know. But uh, something that's called me, just even from the little that I have read, he said this when he's talking about parents raising boys and really in reality raising children in general, just as far as us drawing near to God and, and glorifying God. He said the spiritual sensitivities and investments we hope for our children will rarely surpass our own. You know, that the intentions that we have for our kids spiritually, that we want them to love God, we want them to follow God, we want them to glorify God, we want them to do all these things. He's saying, telling us there that they rarely exceed ours. And so if we're setting the bar here, our kids will, will more than likely either meet us or fall far below us. That we as parents, that we set the bar, that they will not rarely surpass our our lives, as spiritual, our spiritual lives, our spiritual maturity. It says we are our children's primary Christian coaches. They are going to need to see this God priority modeled, not just in church attendance and not just saying that you are a part of a church, but allowing it to live out in your life. I, you know, and, and as... As showy as this might sound, I think it's important that our kids see us reading the Bible. I think it's important our kids see us pray. I think it's important our kids see us worship. That's why I'm glad, as maybe distracting as it can be at times, I'm glad our kids are in here with us when we worship. They need to see us worship. They need to see us praying. They need to see us engaging with each other. That's what God's called us to, because I want to, we, and I fall short at this, but God has called us to set the bar, to be leading our kids, to be encouraging our kids in this direction. And I just loved how he said that, you know, that they will not rarely surpass where we are. You know, because I hear, we, we hear that a lot, right? Like I, people want their kids to be godly, but I, I'm just not there. Like I'm just not ready for that. Like I want my kids to be, um, to believe in Christ and believe in God uh, because I know that that means good, good things. Like God wants good things for them and God wants to lead them in good ways, but I'm just, I'm kind of indifferent to it. I'm kind of on the outskirts of it. Man, that, that is so faulty and we can really do damage to our kids because what it's going to show them is that basically we're hypocrites. It's going to show them this false sense of, of playing church and we don't want to do that for them. We want to lead them better than that. And so drawing near to God is us drawing them along with us. That We're drawing them along with us. You know, because it's one thing to say that you're a part of something, but it's a whole nother thing to be participating in the purpose of that very thing. And if we are the church, if the people are the church, stepping in the purpose of the church then we need to get to stepping. So not only does he tell us to draw near, but he tells us to hold fast. In verse, uh, in verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And so he tells us to hold tightly to what we say we believe. That our purpose is to hold on tight, to to. to to be engaged with it. One version says to hold tightly. Another version says it like this, to keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. 
The writer is telling the Christians here who, had, who are involved in a very similar culture than, that we live in, a culture of oppression and, and persecution and difficulty, he tells them to hold on. Hold on to those promises that you know. Hold on to those promises that you believe to be able to walk in, step in the purpose of the church that he got for you as an individual. And so for us, we have to be truly be honest that to hold on to the promises may require us to let go of some other things. That there may be things that we're holding on to in our life that we're elevating or, or thinking are very important in our life to us or to our comfort or to our satisfaction or our joy. That we're holding on to these things and so we're never going to be able to truly hold tightly to the promises that God has laid for us and the purposes that God has for us. Because we're holding on to other purposes. We're holding on to other means of satisfaction and other means of joy and growth in our life. You know, and... Uh, was doing some reading the other day and, and came across uh, this this illustration that I, or this story that I had uh, kind of gone over before and it just kind of brought so much clarity even to this situation. But, uh, you know, a, a big business in, in places with a lot of uh, rare uh, animals and that type of thing, like Africa and places like that, a big business is poaching, right? And so what these poachers will do specifically uh, for monkeys, uh, what these poachers will do is they'll take a gourd. Um, I don't know if you know what a gourd is. I didn't know what it is. I had to Google it. A gourd is a fruit. Okay, a gourd is a fruit. And what they'll do is they'll hollow out this fruit. And what they'll do is they'll make a hole just big enough for a monkey's arm to fit through. And what they'll do is inside of that gourd, they'll fill it with rice or peanuts or something that they know the, the monkey would like. And so what the monkey does is he, they, and they strap it down to a tree or they you know, fasten it to the ground, something like that, where the, the monkey can't just get the gourd and run off with it. And so the monkey will go to this gourd, and what he'll do is he'll stick his hand into it. He'll grab a hold of the rice or the peanuts, whatever's in there, and as he begins to pull it out, his fist will get stuck on the hole because the hole is just big enough for him to get his hand in. But as he grabs a hold of something else that's in there and begins to pull out, his hand won't fit out anymore because it's made, it's expanded his hand. It's made his hand a little bit bigger. And so what these monkeys will do, because they're, they're, they're very needy, they're very selfish monkeys, they're going to hold on and continue to pull. And they're, they're a, a little dumb. They're just going to continue to yank at it. And they just think the longer I pull at this, it's eventually I'm going to get it. Eventually I'm going to get this, 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 food, whatever's in there that I've got, and it's going to satisfy me, it's going to make me happy, I know it's going to be good, so I'm going to pull at it, pull at it, pull at it. And so what happens is they will not let it go, and the poacher is able to come up behind the monkey and, and take it into captivity or to kill it instantly because of its ignorance to let go of the thing that it, it can't get. But it's convinced it can. You know, and for us, there are things that we have a hold of. And that we are pulling out for satisfaction. We are trying to get a hold of for happiness. We are trying to get a hold of for purpose. And we are holding on with a death grip and never truly experiencing what he's got for us. And for some of us, we are holding on to it for, uh, up to the moment of even captivity. And for some of us, uh, hopefully, God willing, we won't hold on to it till the death, eternal death are missing out on the abundant life that God's got for us because we're holding on to empty satisfaction that we'll never truly get a hold of. And so for us, I, I, the question has to be, what are we holding on to that's keeping us from holding on to His promises, keeping us from walking into the purposes that He has for me? What are we holding on to? Because I love how He ends this section in verse 23. He says, For He who promised is faithful. God says, if you're holding on to His promises, you will not be disappointed. 
But if you're holding on to his purposes and walking in his purposes and his promises, that he will never fail. First Corinthians one verses eight through nine, he says, who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That the freedom of every believer, church, this is what we have to understand. The freedom of every believer is when we allow the love of God to change our desires. We allow what God's done to us to change the way that we do things, change the way that we want things, change the way that we see things. And that when our affections have been taken captive by God and our affections aren't being taken captive by the empty promises of the world or the empty satisfactions we're reaching for. When our affections are taken captive by the love of God, we will willingly open our hands, letting sin go, escaping captivity that the enemy intends for us. That will, if we will see that, see the love of God truly poured out for us, then we will willingly open our hands and begin to walk in freedom and not in captivity. That's what God wants for us. God wants freedom for us, guys. God wants freedom for us in our life. And so the last purpose that we step into and walk into, he says here in verse 24 and 25. says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to, the, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day Drawing near, he says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. This word love is the word love that we've talked about several times and that's all throughout the New Testament. That, that God himself is this idea of love, agape love, intentional, purposeful love for the object of its love. And so he tells us to stir people up to love and to good works that we have a responsibility with each other as we step into this together to stir each other up, to consider each other. And this word consider is a very intimate word, to be thinking about each other, to be concerned for each other. And not only to be concerned in it just a, I wonder what's going on with them, but concerned in a way that leads to action. And this action leads people and encourages people, spurs people up to love, to agape love, intentional love. And that's not only love for God, an intentional love for God, glorifying Him, but an intentional love for other people. Seeing other people around you in need, seeing other people that you can love and encourage and, and equip. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 13 uh, says this it says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So he tells us that in our loving, in our stirring up, that we may actually help participate in keeping someone else from falling to the temptations of sin. And that we can step into that. That is our responsibility. That is our purpose. Will God, can God do these things separate from us? Absolutely. But he's chosen to use us. That God's work is going to get done, whether we do it or not. But God has given us the opportunity, the ability to walk in an abundant life by experiencing that work that he does through us. That you just think about the people that God used in the Bible, these weak, broken, messed up people that God saw fit to choose them and that the life that they lived got to be abundant, got to be experiential, got to be glorious because they were walking in the purpose that God had called them to. And did it come with suffering? Yes. Did it come with hurt and disappointments? Yes. But what it brought them to was this ever-passing glory that only God can give and only God can, can supply for us. It's the eternal glory that He has given to His people. And that we get to participate in that, not only considering, but empowering, equipping, and encouraging people. 
And that we're not, and this isn't limited just to people in your faith family, but people around us. This is the evangelizing the world around us, that we're being considerate of people, that we're reaching out to people, inviting people into what we have, and just being the church where they are. You know, that's one thing that's very important, that we've got to be the church where they are before we can expect them to become the church where we are. We have got to be the church where those people are. We've got to show them what we're about. That is our purpose, living that out, stirring people up to love and good works. And he says here in 25, not neglecting to meet together. You know, because many times we go to church when we think we need it. But our motivation for, for coming into this arena, gathering together as a body of believers, should be to see who needs to be lifted up, to see who we can encourage, to see who is in discouragement right now that desperately needs some encouragement. And so as we kind of land the plane... You know, why does this matter? Why does this matter for us? When we are stepping into the purposes of God, we will be enjoying the blessings of God and bringing people into that. That if we are created as Christians, as human beings, but even stepping in as the nation of God, the children of God, Christian believers in God, that our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, to worship God, to, to, to edify each other, and to, to evangelize the lost and dying world around us then when we begin to step in that purpose, we will truly begin to experience the blessings that God has for us. Where that we're resting in His faithfulness and resting in His strength. You know, a while back, um, a while back, I, I kind of, this, this idea, this word crowd just kept coming to my mind. Um, I just really got fixated on it, really got focused on it. And so I just kind of did some, some digging on that. And, you know, a crowd is defined as a large number of, number of people tip, uh, gathered together, typically in an disorganized or unruly way. Okay, so a crowd being a people gathered together in a disorganized or unruly way. And that uh, people, uh, another way it said is that people that have filled a space almost completely leaving little room. And so as we look in the Bible... There are many, many, many instances of where a crowd is mentioned. Of where a crowd is mentioned. Matthew 9, there's a woman that has come to find Jesus. She has a bleeding problem. She's trying to get to Jesus. And then in this instant, she just wants to try to, if I can just get to his robe. So that there's so many people there. It's so congested that she can't make it to Jesus. Luke 8, the same story. It says the multitudes press you, that there are so many people around you, Jesus. And we know this woman barely got to his, his, the hem of his garment, that she barely got to him because of the crowd. And later on in that same chapter, Jesus goes to a place to heal a girl that is dying and he has to tell the crowd, make room. That the crowd is in the way. Mark 2, there are four friends that heard about Jesus. They have a paralyzed friend that they carry on a stretcher. They go to find him in verse 4. It says when they, they could not come near him because of the crowd, that the people were in the way. In Mark 10, verse 46, it says that his disciples and a great multitude were around him. And later on in that verse, it says, And a blind man on the road shouted for Jesus. He was shouting for mercy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what did the crowd do? The crowd looked at him and they said, Be be quiet. Be quiet. We're trying to see Jesus. We're trying not to be distracted from Jesus. Be quiet. In John 8, we see a crowd that comes to Jesus, bringing a woman caught in adultery, throwing her down before Jesus and says, Jesus, judge her. Most instances of a crowd, you know what they did? They got in the way. 
Oh, they brought judgment. They came seeking their own selfish ambition. They came seeking their own agendas. They came seeking their own thing. They were individuals. A crowd is very individualized. Church, we are not called to be a crowd. We are not called to be spectating. We're called to be participating. We are called to be worshiping God, encouraging and edifying each other and evangelizing, sharing the gospel with the world around us. We need a purpose. We need to be spectating the work of, we need not be spectating the work of God, but be participating in the work of God. Because we don't want to be a crowd, a group of individuals concerned for themselves, their own experiences, their own agendas. Church, we want to be a gathering. A gathering is different. People that are gathered are gathered for an intention. A gathering is a group of people there with a purpose, a singular purpose to accomplish a singular goal. I pray that we can be that. I pray that we could not just be some organization that meets on the weekends, but that we could be an active gathering of people that is not getting in the way of people's experience with Jesus, but facilitating people's experience with Jesus. Not telling people to hush, to shut up, to be quiet, not getting in the way of the work of God, not throwing people down before the cross, telling Jesus that you need to condemn this person. They deserve punishment. That is not what he's called us to do. He's not called us to be the crowd. He's called us to be the gathered church together, facilitating the work of God, participating in the purposes of God by drawing near to him, by worshiping him, by encouraging each other. And helping each other just walk in the best light that we can. Using our imperfections and being the people that God has called us to be. Let's pray this morning before we just sing for just a few more minutes. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for God seeing fit. God seeing fit to use broken people for your beautiful purposes. God, that you're just so good to us. God, that I pray for us as a church. God, that it's so easy to be the crowd. God, because the crowd, we just spectate. God, it's easy to just sit and watch. Lord, but I pray. God, I pray as people. God, I pray as individuals, Lord, that we would not lose focus on the purposes and intentions that you have for us. God, I pray so much, God, that we would never be the crowd. God, that we would never be the ones getting in the way of the work of God. But Lord, I pray that we would be the people facilitating your purposes. God, being a part of what you've got for your people and for your kingdom and for the hurting world around us. God, because you're so good. God, I pray we would lead our families by example. God, I pray in stepping into that purpose, Lord, that we would be a people that are worth following. God, that are leading to Jesus, that are just showing people what he's done. God, that we could walk in the full assurance of our salvation. God, that we could hold on to the promises that you've made to us, letting go of everything else and just holding on to you. God, and seeing, considering each other, stirring each other up to love for God, love for others, and to good work, that we would actively be choosing and walking in the purposes that you have for us. God, we thank you that in our brokenness, you've decided to use us. And God, I pray that as a church here in De Quincey, as a group of people gathered together, God, that we would see our community as a mission field, we would begin stepping and walking in the purposes you have for us.
God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name.